It was really nice to, um, to hear from everybody and also that question at the end I think is actually quite interesting. How many people here feel that right now they're going through something big in their life and to see that it's half of us. And it makes me wonder, is that, you know, something with this group specifically? Is that like the planetary alignment right now that's, you know, the full moon tonight or something? Which there is, by the way, full moon tonight. Yeah. Uh, or is that potentially half of all of the people on this planet? Is that just a thing where 50% of all people at any given moment are going through something? Not sure. I'll probably ask this question more often and kind of start gathering data sets through my meditation groups. But there's this reality that life is happening, that you're kind of thrown into it as a baby, just kind of popped out and suddenly, okay, you're alive. And you have this body that feels things, and we're very vulnerable. We're sensitive to heat and cold and hunger and thirst and pain. And we see everything, we hear everything. We have this incessant, chattery mind thing that's always running around. Feelings relentlessly kind of invading our inner space, telling us stories that may or may not even be accurate. The Buddha said we are like a, a cow without skin. That's just being covered in flies. Which is a pretty gross image, but think about that. A cow without any skin with flies on it. Yeah, that we are relentlessly being bombarded by sensory objects, by perceptions, right? Thoughts, feelings, sights, sounds, sensations. Constantly, even when we sleep, we dream, still keeps happening. One of my teachers said that sleep is the poor man's nirvana because it's the only time a lot of us get a little bit of kind of respite from all of that. So starting from that place that really we're constantly, constantly being kind of poked at, kind of triggered, kind of made restless because we simply have a body and a mind that are connected to things. Some might even say the mind is worse than the body, right? Oftentimes the body, we're just, there's nothing really going on. There's nothing really going on visually. On all of our senses, everything's fine, but the mind is not able to just be fine. So some say that the mind is actually even worse. But this is an important thing to realize, that just being in this human incarnation, when the Buddha, when they talk about it and they say that there is suffering, you know, oftentimes when we talk about suffering, and you know, Buddhists, we love talking about suffering. It's like this big thing for us. But when we talk about suffering, it often, you know, we talk about, you know, birth and death and aging and losing things that are important to you and not getting what you want and pain and pleasure and gain and loss and 
all the kind of vicissitudes of life, these things coming and going and working on us. But there's something that's much more fundamental going on here that can be defined as suffering, and that's movement. If you really kind of look at it, why is meditation so peaceful? Why do we feel peaceful and relaxed in meditation? Because we're not picking up so much sensory information, because we're not thinking as much as we're thinking during the day, even if it seems like you're thinking twice as much when you're meditating, it's actually less than you normally are, you're just not aware of it. That because there's less happening, less sensory kind of stuff, less mental stuff, less emotional stuff, there's a little bit more stillness, a little bit more space, and this, when there's stillness and space in the mind, that is peacefulness, that is peace. And when I was at this monastery in Australia doing a three-month retreat, the Rains retreat there, one of the monks came up to me and he was really kind of trying to drill this point into my head that everything is suffering unless it's stillness. That, you know, he wasn't the teacher there, he was just a monk, but he really wanted me to know this, that all movement is suffering. All movement is painful. Every movement of the mind is painful. And sometimes I understand that, sometimes I don't. But just in this moment, as we're talking about it, it really makes a lot of sense. It really makes sense from our own experience, because we see that we're always just searching for this peace, this rest, this cessation to things, this end, this kind of quiet. And every movement, everything else that's happening, Every, every ripple of the mind, it's an irritation, actually. If you really look at it, every ripple of the mind is irritating. They've been doing interesting experiments with meditators and people that practice mindfulness, and they're hooking them up to, you know, like EKG machines and giving them CAT scans and all these different things to see what their brains are doing and how their meditation practice affects their brain. And they're finding, you know, lots of really interesting things and now it's a fact that yes, meditation does help the brain, that, you know, we are creating um, new connections, we are creating more gray matter by meditating, that, that there are now physiological kind of proven, scientifically proven traits that start arising. But one very interesting thing is that when they have people doing tasks, doing a series of tasks, and then they have them you know, go through a, an eight-week mindfulness program and then they do the tasks again, they're finding that the people do the tasks much quicker, the reaction time's almost cut in half, that they're much more clear about what's going on, they're much more present, they have more empathy, right? they're more able to deal with sudden stressors that come in. So kind of like overall people, they seem that they're stronger, they're smarter, right? Their memory increases, they're more focused. And they looked at the brain to kind of understand this and see what's going on, and they found something very startling, I guess you could say, was that it wasn't that the activity in the brain was increasing to a higher degree that was allowing them to be on top of everything. They found actually the activity in the brain was decreasing. 
that a lot of the areas in the brain were slowing down and starting to kind of turn off and open up. And if you think about it from the point of view as a meditator, that makes a lot of sense, right? You're creating space, right? If you don't have all that mental chatter, all that extra stuff going on, if you're just present, then of course you're more aware. Of course you can pay attention to detail. Of course you have space to be more empathetic and uh, your, you know, your memory of the situation is increasing because you're more there, right? So it's this really interesting thing that actually the more kind of meditative one becomes, the more present one becomes, actually the mind, the brain activity slows down, starts to turn off and open up. So this understanding that actually what we're going for, it's this, this place of rest, both in the brain, both in the mind, Right, that we're trying to find this place of just cessation where everything just stops. Right? Every time I teach meditation and I go to these classes and I ask everybody, you know, what are you here for today? You know, what is your goal? Um, especially when it's you know, the first class of a new series, I hear very often that you know, I want to be able to shut my thoughts off. Right? I want to be able to push out these thoughts. Right? So there's this mental pain Right? That there's these intrusive thoughts that are coming in and they're causing people so much pain that they're going to meditate. Like, how can I get rid of these thoughts? And then there's, like we said, just life. This general kind of flow of life that things are just happening all the time. And, you know, sometimes in our life we kind of check all the boxes and everything is set, you know, and I wake up in the morning and I do my workout and I ate well and I you know, taught a great meditation class and I you know, did all these great things. I went out for a walk and I had a great talk with my partner and kind of you know, all these boxes of love and relationship and finance and purpose and all these boxes are checked and I feel, wow, I'm really doing great. My life is doing great. That place that I'm always trying to get to where everything is great I get there, but it usually only lasts about a week, if I'm lucky, and then something kind of dips out. One of the wheels of the chart kind of breaks off, and then the, the, the cart is now bumping as it's going, because now it's missing one of these pieces of the, of the rotation, that all these things are okay, but this part's not, and that part is enough to throw me off completely. So then I'm working, you know, I have a fight with my partner, okay, I have to figure this out, and then I figured that out, cool, but then suddenly we realize we don't have enough money, okay, now I'm kind of working on the financial stuff, but now I realize I've been so busy on that, I haven't gone to the gym or taken care of my, my body or my mind, okay, and I'm, you know, and to kind of check all the boxes and get everything, it's really, it's exhausting. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to really be on top of everything, to have everything going good. And the problem, aside from that, is that so much of all of this is out of our control. Like we were saying that the people in our life are actually largely out of our control, right? Things that are happening to our bodies, aging, for instance, right? And I don't even have to say aging, just simply the passage of time. You know, I just saw that one of the Supreme Court justices is, you know, retiring. You know, like as if, as if there wasn't enough going on, boom, okay. That as time goes on, things just keep coming in. The next thing will happen. 
and it'll either be something in your body, it'll be something in your mind, it'll be feelings come up that you haven't felt in a while. You're like, oh God, I thought I was over this. Why is this here again? Right? Or something happens in your relations, or something happens with your car, yeah, or your, the drain of your sink or it's the weather, or it's the plans that you made fell through, that there's always going to be things happening. And sometimes there's this incredible, it's as if everything is collaborating at once. That's like, hey, like, let's do all the things that can go wrong. Let's, let's orchestrate those things to all happen on the same day. Right? There's sometimes that that's what it's like. Or there's just these big changes, and even the good changes. Like I myself, I'm going to be, um, my, my lease expires August 31st, and I'm going to be traveling with my partner across the country, giving healings and meditations, and we're going to have this amazing three-month journey and teaching and doing all this stuff. Yeah, beautiful, right? It's a beautiful, inspiring, great time. And it's also incredibly unnerving. Yeah, it's scary. It's terrifying. Are we going to have enough money. We're bringing the little dog with us. How are we going to be with a dog in a van for three months? Does that work? I don't know. Yeah. Where, where are we going to sleep in all these times? What's going to happen? This amazing experience, this thing that feels really good, it's still stressful, actually. I remember taking like, like a stress test um, back in you know, high school, and there's a bunch of boxes you check. And it was asking, you know, well, how, how are you doing today? How's your health? Are you in any arguments with anybody? Um, you know, is there a divorce happening in your family? Is there a big, like Christmas? Is it like around the holiday season? Um, you know, do you have plans coming? And I kind of just went through and just asked all these questions about life. What does your life look like right now in this cross section of this moment? What does your life look like? And I remember that, you know, one of the biggest stressors was if you have like a physical illness, if you have a physical illness, you know, 50, you have 50 points. If there's a divorce in your family, 45 points. If Christmas is coming, 42 points. Yeah. And I remember looking at that and thinking, oh, how interesting that, you know, a divorce and Christmas give just about the same amount of stress. I mean, you look at the TV, you know, you see people fighting in Walmart for the Elmo doll or whatever, and, you know. I guess it makes sense a little bit. But life is stressful. Things happen. Things are always happening. And there's things that are in our control, things that are out of our control. And again, even the things that are within our control, like for myself, right, like going to the gym is something I was like doing very regularly, right? It takes a lot of effort. And like I was saying to some of you that I went to a festival this last weekend and I tended a fire, the solstice fire all night. So I sat there and kind of kept feeding this fire and held the space and facilitated different rounds of sharing and just listened a lot to people. And it was a really beautiful night. And so I had this, you know, amazing experience. Came home, woke up the next day. I was exhausted. I was exhausted. And I had to go and teach at Blue Cross in Boston. And I went and did that. I came back home. I had to then teach again in North Andover. I napped and I didn't go to the gym. It was the first day that I didn't go to the gym in a month and a half. I'd been going dun, 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 regularly and this is the first time I dropped out. And then yesterday I woke up and I was like, I still feel exhausted. Second day, didn't go to the gym. Today I woke up and I was like, okay, feeling a little bit better. Should probably go. I went to the gym. I have my like routine. I did about half the routine and I was like, eh, that's really all I have today. 
Yeah, so it's, I even know what I'm supposed to do and I know what feels good and I've been doing it, but just these couple days, I just don't have the energy for it. And that's okay. I don't feel like I've fallen off the wagon. You know, I don't, not like, <clears throat> but it's hard. It takes effort and it takes sometimes more energy than we have to always do the right thing for ourselves, the next thing we need to do. And I noticed that when I was tired, <clears throat> also my house started getting dirty. Yeah, we also didn't really have any food in the fridge. I hadn't really put out my schedule for the next couple weeks for the healings that I do. That because I was tired from this one event, everything else suffered. Everything else kind of went down. And I really had to push today. And I see it wasn't enough. And I'm going to another festival tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And it's a four-day festival. And I come back Monday, and I have no idea where I'll be then. And then it's the 4th of July, where I'll be off doing other things. And life is happening. And these are all great and beautiful things. But at the same time, it creates a sense of ungroundedness. It's very ungrounding. So my normal routine of life has been disrupted and all these things that I've really painstakingly kind of built up to support myself, I don't have them at the moment. I'm too tired to kind of do it. And I've been going through a similar thing for the past couple of days where I almost feel like my identity is threatened, right? This person, like I'm on top of things and I do things right and I'm here teaching classes when so you need to be like a role model, right? And I want to feel like I'm doing a good job and all of this. And I just lay in bed and I was like, I don't want to do anything. And I said, well, then that's how you're a role model today, right? As you're listening to that. But I had to let go of some parts of myself. I have to let go of these things that I'm identifying with, that I should have it all figured out, that I should have energy, that I should be on top of things, right? The should game, right? Anytime you hear the word should in your mind, already know that's the culprit, right? Because we never know, should, should I? I don't know, should I? Maybe lying in bed is the best thing I could do. Maybe I'm going to reach enlightenment quicker because I lay in bed. Do I know that that's not true? No, I don't know. So coming from this place of just seeing that life is always just the state of movement and that's inside of us, that's outside of us. The stuff outside of us, again, not much control. The stuff inside of us, also often not much control. So it really brings us to this place where we have to start finding how do I find some kind of sense of of peace? How do I make peace? How do I accept? How do I find a way to be here in this life, in this moment of time, in any moment of time, and kind of just, you know, be able to kind of feel sane in some way? Where's the upper hand in the situation? There must be an upper hand somewhere. What is it? And I would say that there's a lot of different ways that could look. And I think that some of you actually touched upon those. Um, like you guys were saying that in any given moment of the day, just dropping in with what's going on right now. How do I feel right now? What am I thinking right now? What am I doing right now? Just be present in this moment, whatever it looks like, without trying to make it something called meditation. Just be here. Because meditation is nothing else than just being here. And actually, the more that you can practice just being here at any given moment, your meditation will take off. I spoke to a group yesterday at the school in Acton. I do a, doing like an eight-week class there. And I relate to them the story of this one Thai monk who ordained as a monk at a, an older age, 
Um, you know, a lot of people, they become monks from their children. And I think he may have even been 50 or 60 or, you know, so everyone else had been monks for 50, you know, 50 years maybe. And he comes in and after one year he claims enlightenment. And all the monks were kind of in a, how could that be? And, you know, we've been practicing this whole time and that's ridiculous. You're just, you know, how it's not possible to practice for one year and suddenly you're enlightened. It doesn't work. And the man said, well, you know, I've, I've wanted to be a monk since I was a kid, but I am not able to. I, we had a poor family. I had to work. I had to help out. I had obligations. And then I had a wife and a kid and I had to take care. So I had all these conditions that kept me from doing it. But every day I would be kind of tending my fields and I would be plowing the field with my oxen and I would put my hand on the yoke and as we were walking and I was kind of guiding the oxen I would just practice only feeling the yoke just keeping my mind completely present with just the feeling of my hand right there on the yoke nothing else and I did that for years and so finally, when I was able to ordain and become a monk, it happened so fast because I've been building up my mindfulness. I've been building up my concentration. I've been building up, building up my presence. That when I really took the mind to task as a monk, it just happened right away. And after hearing this, the other monks had to kind of concede, okay, I guess maybe it is possible. And this is something that is really important to acknowledge because we often think that meditation is somewhere else, right? That I am right now me here in this mess that is my life, right? With all of this confusion and all of these feelings and all of these situations. And I'm a million miles away from anything that would be called peaceful or meditative. You know, you have the nice Buddha statue sitting up there smiling at me on my altar. And then I'm sitting here cleaning up throw up from my dog on the floor. And I think, um, this isn't what I'm supposed to be. This isn't it. It's somewhere else. I need to be there and not here. But there's this reality that we are here and we are always here. And there's a reason why meditation, I know when John Kabat-Zinn, he started with this, the mindfulness based stress reduction stuff and his mindfulness practices, he went into the pain clinics of the hospitals in Boston. And he said, you know, I do mindfulness and this helps to ease kind of people's ailments. And he looked at them and he said, give me the worst that you've got. Give me the patients that are hopeless, that are in such severe chronic pain that all you can do is pump them full of meds. Give me those people. Let's work with them. And he would sit in the basements of the hospital with these people. And almost across the boards, people reported after practicing and practicing and practicing with him that they were getting better, that their way of life was improving. Yeah, it's not even necessarily that the pain diminished, but their relationship to it shifted so drastically that they felt like they had reclaimed their lives. So it's not like those people were there in the hospital with this horrible pain in their neck or their back. And they said, well, it's over. I'll never be a Buddha because I can never be peaceful again. Right? It's not like that. It's like they took wherever they were. Start where you are, as they say. They started where they were. From this place with these conditions in this life scenario, in this situation, 
What does practice look like here? How do I change the relationship to this moment, to this situation? Not thinking this situation has to be gone before I can start my practice. The situation has to change and then I'll be peaceful. It said, no, right here in the middle of this situation, what does it look like? And it was really interesting when we did this fire ceremony at the festival, we called in the four directions, you know, and we called in the east, and the east is the rising sun, and it's the, the new day, and it's the rebirth, right? Easter, right? It's the new things coming in, right? And we all uh, offered tobacco to the fire and aho to the east, you know, and we kind of went through the directions, and we got to the north. And, um, and my partner Shannon, she was actually holding the north, and I was like, you know, you're you're standing at the place for the north, so you have to now kind of speak. And she was like, oh, I don't know what to say. And I was like, yeah, just say something. And she spoke and she said, well, the north, it's the place of cold and it's winter in the, in the wheel. And it's night and it's dark. And it's the place of our ancestors as well. And she said, but true north, when you really are north, when you're kind of at that place when you're in the darkest, the deepest of night. You're actually then just completely fully with yourself. And it reminded me of this saying I would often tell people that when you've hit rock bottom, you're finally standing on solid ground. That sometimes the, the dark night of the soul, that whole thing, it's actually that you're just intensely present finally with yourself, that everything else fades away and you're just here with what's going on fully. And it's that really interesting juxtaposition because usually we think of light as good and happy and free and love and all this and dark and night as like scary and cold and desolate and empty and all of this. But even when you look around here during the daytime, you can see everything around you, but you can't see anything above you. And at nighttime, you can't see anything around you, but then you can see all the stars, right? So that actually during the night when everything's dark, that's when you get this perspective of everything. That's when you can actually see something much more clearly. So it's really important that, of course, although we are working to move forward and we are working to change our lives for the better always, and of course, keep doing that, right? Yeah, this teacher, Achan Cha, was in Thailand and a tree fell over the hut of one of his students and crashed part of the roof. And he came in a few days later and the student's just sitting there with this half-destroyed hut. And Achan Cha's like, what are you doing? Fix the hut. And the student said, I'm practicing letting go. And Achan Cha looked at him and said, you're practicing being an idiot. <laughs> Fix your hut. Yeah. Of course, if there's something to do that needs to be done, do it, of course. Because if you think about it, anyway, if you stop, you just starve to death, right? You need to eat, you need to do stuff, you need to work, you need to make money, you need to do things to be healthy. There is an upkeep that inherently comes with life. We have to breathe. I have to breathe in. I have to breathe out. Oh, God, I have to do it again. Breathe in. Oh, my God, I have to do this forever. <laughs> it doesn't stop. I have to keep breathing, right? Thank God it's automatic. Yeah, that there is an, an inherent upkeep with being a human in this incarnation. There's things we have to do and keep doing and, and don't suffer. You know, even the Buddha, 
they're renunciants, they're monks, they're in the woods with bulls and stuff. And the Buddha said it's the middle way. He said, don't hurt yourself purposefully. You know, help yourself, do what you can for yourself, but also know when you need to let go, when to say it's enough. Yeah. And that's something I think for a lot of us is that we're on the other extreme maybe, is that we do so much and we're doing so much and doing so much, but it's not really changing, it's not working, it's not helping. We're overdoing it and not getting any results. Maybe you could be giving 50% of the effort you're giving now and still be as happy as you've been pushing yourself so hard. Maybe a lot of you will even be happier if you give 50% effort. Because then you're like, oh God, I can relax. So the whole thing about being where you are and accepting, like the thing we were saying with like aging, you have to accept or being in a crisis, accept. What I was talking about the other day, contentment and letting go. You know, it's just as simple as what the Dalai Lama said. He said, you know, if there's something you can do, do it. And if there's nothing you can do, then let it go. <clears throat> and I think when we're going through crises and we're having problems and if there's a lot going on in our lives, and you sit down to meditate and that stuff starts flooding into your mind, I would say, of course. How could it not? Right? How could it not? It's not like there's something wrong with us if our mind is going crazy because our life is going crazy. Of course. That's how it works. <clears throat> and I find for myself that I have a lot of great realizations in meditation. Right? Say, like, I'm, right, I'm arranging this trip with my girlfriend. I don't really know what's happening. We're just kind of going and all this. And I'll be sitting in meditation and suddenly it'll just come up like, ah, oh, you can Airbnb somewhere. Or it'll come up, ah, oh, I have a friend that lives in Texas. You can talk to them. Right? That suddenly this answer pops up from the, from the abyss. That's like, oh, there you go. That's something you can do. And when that happens, I just see it and acknowledge it. I'm like, oh, great. Go back to the meditation. Yeah, and sometimes that stuff also just needs time to process. Again, if our life is so busy for always doing and doing and doing and doing, when you sit to meditate, it's the first time you've given yourself. So a lot of people, when they sit to meditate, there's usually two things that happen. One thing is that you fall asleep because it's the first period that you've given yourself to not have to do anything. You've let yourself off the hook for a couple minutes, so what happens? You drop into sleep, you're tired, you're exhausted, you've been pushing yourself all day, you need a rest. The other thing that happens when a lot of people take that time to meditate is all of that other stuff that they haven't figured out, that they haven't taken the time to work through and to think about, that stuff all floods in too, right? And this is what I've said before, is that this is karma, this is what karma means is that when you meditate, you get your karma. If you've been pushing too hard, you're going to meditate, you're going to be exhausted. If you have a lot of stuff going on in your life, you sit down, all that stuff's going to come in. If your life, it's really kind of peaceful and it's well-maintained and it's orderly and you're doing good work and you're on a good path and you sit to meditate, your mind is going to just get super inspired and shoot off into bliss. Yeah, whatever your life looks like, your meditation is going to kind of go there too. And... <coughs> I think the last point, just again, so we have some time to meditate, is if you think about this whole thing like, I've heard the example, you know, that you have um, like dirt in a water glass and you swirl it up and then there's dirt everywhere and it's all muddy and it's all kind of gross. 
but then if you let it settle, all that stuff goes to the bottom, right? So then the clarity, this is all clear water and all that dirt sits to the bottom. Or it's like waves, right? That the mind is all these waves and when you just kind of stop, all those waves settle and then the water becomes clear and peaceful and reflective. So it's not like the dirt is gone. It's not like the potential for waves are gone or the water is gone. It's just that everything settles. And that's kind of what meditation does. My teacher, Achim Brahmi, said you can just do it in one fell swoop. You know, because I would try to meditate and I'd be working through different themes to then become peaceful. And I'd figure things out, okay, and then figure things out and figure things out. I spent a lot of time very actively working through different themes, which I think was a great idea. But then there's another whole aspect to this, which is you also don't have to work through anything. You could also at any moment just throw the whole thing away and just say, I'm not interested. I'll deal with that stuff later. Yeah, oh, all of my problems and the concerns, I'm putting them outside of that door. When I leave this room, I will go pick them up again, right? But I'm leaving everything out of this room, not interested. This isn't the time to deal with it. This is the time to rest. I'll deal with it afterwards. And as you're sitting and you realize something's come up, then you say to that thing afterwards. Yep, very important. I'll deal with that later. Very important. I'll deal with that later. Giving yourself that rest. Right? There's no other way to look at it. It's just you're taking time to rest. You're taking time to sit and you say, for this period of time, I'm not going to think about stuff. That also means that you need to give yourself another period of time to think about stuff. If you're distracting yourself all day long and you sit to meditate, all that stuff's going to come up and then you go back to distracting yourself. It's not going to work. Same thing with the nap, right? Give yourself that 10 minutes to nap and don't make that your meditation time. This is my 10-minute nap time. And then after that, I'll have my 10-minute meditation time, right? Or I'll take 20 minutes to sit down with a pen and a piece of paper and just write down all of my feelings, where I'm at, what's going on, a little bit of journaling, right? Just downloading, putting out the information out of your head onto something physical and tangible. Ten minutes of that, and now I can take ten minutes to meditate because I've given myself time to think in the process, right? So meditation time should be meditation time. And you should also create times to think and times to work out and times to rest and sleep, yeah? and make those all different times, and then your meditation can really just hold that integrity for being that kind of practice. If your boundaries are blurry, then you're going to get all sorts of stuff flowing in and out of there. And it's not going to ever really kind of just stop and settle. <clears throat> so I guess those are a few words for today. And for the rest of our class, we'll just drop into meditation for 20 minutes. And I would really say to take a moment to just reflect for yourself, you know, am I going to sit here in meditation and all these different things are going to come up? Are there pertinent things that I need to think about in my life right now? And if the answer is yes, then make, a, make an agreement with yourself. <clears throat> make an agreement with yourself and say, I will take a little bit of time and really sit with these things and think about them and write them down and look at them tonight or tomorrow or whatever. Make an agreement that I will take that time for myself. 
Yeah, and if you're falling asleep, make a little bit of an agreement. Okay, after this, I'll go to bed, I promise. Yeah. And just say, and right now, just for these 20 minutes, let me just rest. Let me rest and breathe and just let things go. Give that gift to myself to recover from life. Yeah, and then you can go back and deal with stuff and you'll be stronger. So we sit in a way that feels comfortable and stable. Like I was saying, if you're sitting on the floor, you're going to even want to slide forward maybe and put your feet flat on the floor so you're sitting upright. And you can place your hands on your thighs, palms turned upwards if you'd like, or you could put them in any position that feels comfortable to you. Taking a deep breath. When you're ready, you can close your eyes. <sighs> 